I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. billion. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. We're two days away from the end of the first quarter of 2022 already. Tick tock, tick tock, boom. Tempest Fugit, folks. Carpe some diems today. We're going to talk about Buffalo. Who talks about Buffalo? I do. I love Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills, not often can you go to four straight Super Bowls and lose. There are people now who don't remember that time when Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl every year and then could not win. Yeah, Giants. 1.4 billion is the word of the day. People are up in arms. Let's have a stadium financing conversation. Let's maybe have the final stadium financing conversation we're going to have. No, we're not going to have it. I thought we were done with public-private financing, with public giving money after Marlins Park. Everyone was up in arms. People losing jobs. Mayors being recalled. A total, absolute nightmare getting the deal done. Got it done. Economic studies that say it is a great benefit to Miami to have Marlins Park. Economic studies saying it will do nothing to have Marlins Park. The truth is probably somewhere in between, but there is no truth. There is no way to ever measure it, but people do. Marlins Park was an open-air 38,000-seat ballpark before Jeter ruined it, at least aesthetically, if not from a product standpoint. <laughs> nah, not really. They're better. Are they better? Sort of better. So... I just got distracted by the call I just got, and I, I shouldn't be distracted by a call of the show. I'm recording a show. I'm going to call you right back, okay? Literally, I'm live, and you're live. Bye, Amanda. That's Amanda from CBS, Amanda Garris. She distracted me. There could be something going on right now. Coca should be in my ears saying there's something in the sports world. Will Smith must have apologized. Maybe something happened with the Yankees. Did they sign somebody? What happened? Did the Dodgers win the World Series already? Why am I getting a call at 9, 10 in the morning? Spoiler alert, that's what time it is right now. Oh, there's another call. I'm not taking it. What's going on here, Coca? This is insane. I can go a full day. All right, let's start again. 4-6-69. New York approved a $1.4 billion stadium for the Buffalo Bills yesterday. And here's the interesting part. People are wondering why communities do this, why New York State would get involved. And the governor was very clear. The governor said, I had three things I had to do. And this is the dream of an owner, is to have a governor who actually believes the three things that Governor Hockle said she believes, which I find hard to believe that she actually believes any of them. But it doesn't matter because when you're negotiating a ballpark or a new football stadium, 
You have to get the politicians to believe you that if there is no new stadium and there's no public money from that stadium, then the team is going. And when you're in Buffalo, if you don't have the Buffalo Buffs or the Buffalo Bills, guess what? Then you're still Buffalo. But the Buffalo Bills mean everything to that part of New York. It would be like the Green Bay Packers leaving Green Bay. What would ever happen if the Nordiques left Quebec City or if the Supersonics left Seattle? It's, it's a nightmare. It's a malrev. You know you'd spend 3x just trying to get the team back. So the governor was very clear and said, listen, I had three goals. Number one, we had to keep the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo because I'm the governor and I want to make sure that people upstate, by the way, down here in New York City, Long Island, Westchester, couldn't care less. Could try, but couldn't care less whether the Buffalo Bills are in Buffalo or Saskatchewan, because Buffalo is the same as Saskatchewan when you're on the Upper West Side, or even in Tribeca or NoHo or SoHo or, or Bloho. That's a place that I don't really go. Okay, one, keep the bills in Buffalo. All right, that's a very important thing. And you need the politicians to want it and need it. Two, this is a good one. I can't even tell you this, but it's pretty funny. She said, it's important that the project will benefit the hardworking men and women of Western New York. Two, so they negotiated to make this a union construction project. Let me explain to you why politicians want there to be union labor, because the unions donate money to the political campaigns. They do it through PACs. So they pool all their money and they give huge sums of money. So you've got different city commissioners and county commissioners and senators and congresspeople and governors who are all pro-union. The irony is the overwhelming majority of workers are not part of a union. But the ones who are in the union have representation because they've got union dues, which actually just go to politicians, thinking that the politicians will then make sure that these union laborers get exclusive rights to work on a job. And if that's true, then the electricians union can go to the non-union members and say, hey, if you, if you don't want your company to unionize, that's fine. But then they're not going to get to work on the Bill Stadium. And then the president of the non-union shop says, wow. I'm going to miss out on building a ballpark or a football stadium. Hmm. And all I have to do to get the job is to pay people three X what I pay them right now. Let me, let me do some math. Let me get out my spreadsheet. Let me do a little Lotus one, two, trois. Nope. Howie Mandel hit the button. No deal. You go up to the owners and you say, Hey, listen, we need, we need union workers here. We, we need to be able to say that there's 10,000 union jobs. Now, some of those jobs last for a week or for two weeks. And are you getting all the supplies from locally sourced? Are you getting it from the steel mills? Getting all your rebar from New York? Ah, I don't want to blow everyone's view of this ballpark deal. Because she said, it's very important that the hardworking men and women of Western New York are taken care of. Okay, what's number three? This is a good one. Can we get the best deal for the taxpayers? We've got to get the best deal for the taxpayers. They all say that. They don't mean it. They don't get the best deal for the taxpayers because the best deal for the taxpayers would not involve any stadium financing. 
it would be reallocating that money into other places that legally can be reallocated into. All the tax money that went into Marlins Park could have gone into other sports facilities around the state, could have gone into convention centers in Orlando or Miami Beach or the city of Miami or the city of Fort Lauderdale or Stewart or Jupiter, Okeechobee, Tallahassee, Gainesville. I don't really know a song that can name. Someone told me this yesterday, Coca, two days ago maybe. Do you have a song in your head where you can name all the capitals of the 50 states? We had to like learn it in fourth grade at Horace Mann, and we had no song. We just had to learn it. But apparently there's a song, and there's also a song where you can name the 50 states, like Alabama, Arkansas, Alaska. Those are, of course, out of order already. I don't know the song. So you're not going to get the best deal for your taxpayers, and especially when you're putting it forward through a budget, which is what the governor did, and in the budget you're cutting all sorts of other services, and you don't in your release explain why you're cutting other services to the poor, to the homeless, from an education standpoint. You're cutting those not because you're putting money into the Bills' new stadium, because there's two different budgets, and the budget process for a community or a state is quite complicated. But for all of the people who are saying, by putting money into a billionaire's pocket or helping a stadium be built, we are firing teachers. It's not actually true. So the governor went on to say that after all these negotiations, they did it, they answered all the questions, and they are good to go. They got a 30-year lease. The Buffalo Bills are staying in Buffalo for 30 years. Where exactly were they going? Just side note. So now the billionaire owners need to figure out how to release a statement and how to make people feel as though it's okay. Because one of the things you do once you get a deal is you have to continue the work that you did when you were trying to get the deal. Because when you're negotiating with the public to get money, you are out there and you are pounding the pavement. It's like running for office. You're going to churches and synagogues and chambers of commerce and you're trying to explain the benefits you're trying to show economic studies that say all of the money that will be coming in. As a matter of fact, the actual governor of New York said there's going to be payback of the money we're putting into this because of all the economic. Excuse me, I have a tickle in my nose. COVID? No, just a little. I got to put my finger on my mustache and press up on the bridge of my nose to stop me from sneezing in the middle of a show while my phone is ringing again. Coco, why is Jerry calling me so much? Did something happen? I don't know. All right. I'm not going to take it because what, what's happening now can happen in the next 30 minutes. I mean, are we going to miss a golden opportunity of flight or fight in the next 35 minutes? I don't think so. So you spend all sorts of time trying to get people on your side. Then you get the vote. And then you've got to keep working in the community. Now, you don't do it with the same sense of urgency because you say, hey, I've got to be around for construction meetings. So you send people down the chain. That's the biggest difference between when you're going for the money and after you get the money. When you're going for the money, you see the owner and the president all the time. When you've got the money, you then see the head of communications. You see the head of marketing, the head of sales. When you're going for the money, you get the best players to come to some meetings. When you've got the money, you've got people on the bench. That's sort of the ABCs of community participation for a team that already has secured public financing. Another husband and wife team 
the Pagulas, Terry and Kim are the owners of the Bills. Are they husband and wife or brother and sister, Coca? I'm not sure the answer to that, but they are what they are, right? They did a statement that said, we took another step today to solidify our collective goal of constructing a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park. It's important to put collective in there because you want people to think, oh yeah, that was my goal. And what he meant by collective is him and the politicians because if you put it to a vote, it would not have passed. But you just say collective, it's better that way. We're grateful for the time, efforts, and unwavering commitment made by Governor Hockle and her team throughout this process. It's good, you gotta thank the governor. While there are more hurdles to clear before getting to the finish line, we feel our public-private partnership between New York State, Erie County, then you put in the county executive's name. We used to do that with the mayor, you, but there's a way you have to do it. You list the mayor of the county, then you list the mayor of the city, then you, miss the chair, then you say the chairman of the county commission, the chairman of the city commission. There's a pretty good order. But the owner said, we feel the public-private partnership is gonna get us there. They're gonna clear the hurdles. Here's the code word when you put in a statement that there are more hurdles to clear. What do you think that means? That means money. That means there's still some items in the contract that have not been agreed upon. For example, who's gonna pay for environmental cleanup or who's gonna pay for public infrastructure? They've gotta widen the sewer lines. They've gotta get a better electric grid. They've gotta make sure that all of the things that you wouldn't think of that are hugely expensive and potentially hard to manage the costs, you've got to take care of those, get them paid for. Because what you're going to read, and we, we did this trick also with Marlowe's Park, we'll cover all overruns. The bills have said they'll cover all overruns. But before we cover all overruns, we got to lock in these prices and make sure there are no hidden costs. Indian burial ground? An MP, baby. Not my problem. You need to do something to enhance the size of your electric grid to make sure we have enough electric to make sure the lights are on and they turn on quickly in case of a power outage. And if there's a power outage because of a thunderstorm, we've got a secondary electric grid that will pump power to the ballpark before it pumps it to the houses of the constituents who vote for you. That's going to cost some money, but we're not going to mention that. Making sure that we've got parking, making sure that we build out the parking, make sure that we label the parking, make sure we've got police presence, first responder presence, who's paying for that, what their cost is going to be, making sure we cap the labor costs. You say we're going to hire all union people. We're going to put a cap on what they can charge for their hourly rate of toilet installation because we're covering overruns and we've got to make sure that what we ask for from the public is all we're going to need. So all of these things are going on behind the scenes. And people in Buffalo are saying, you know, we're putting in 600 mil, the state is. But then the county of Erie is putting in two and a half, right? 250. It's $850 million out of a $1.4 million project. Where's the other money coming from? Here's a little surprise for you. Did you know that there's something called the G4. G4 is a loan structure where the NFL loans money to its member teams out of a sort of central fund. We have a wait to see that's been pending for a year or two, and it's going to pen for longer. But the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers took out a huge amount of money of the G4. 
There were tremendous overruns. That G4 is going to have a hard time getting paid back. But the NFL puts money in, and they voted in West Palm Beach as part of the owners' meetings that they will put in money into this deal. They approved a loan up to $200 million to one of their own owners. And you'd say, wow, that's amazing. Well, Steve Ross got the same loan to refurbish Hard Rock Stadium. He's not alone. The other owners, that's what it's for. I once spoke to Bud Selig and Rob Manford about a baseball G4 when we were trying to get a ballpark done, and they both responded. We were in a meeting, and I brought this up. I said, you know, we always try to copy the NFL. Why wouldn't we do this? It makes perfect sense. And they said, I've got two words for you, Dave. I said, wait, is Levitard here? Don't call me Dave. I'm David. I got two words for you. Revenue sharing. I said, oh, true. We do get a lot of revenue sharing. But wouldn't it be good if there were a fund from central fund revenue that would help all of these owners participate a little bit in their own ballparks? No, because we want the public to pay for all the ballpark like they did in Washington. Okay. But the NFL said, we're going to do this G4 loan program. And so they did. So the Buffalo Bills themselves will come up with $300 million. Here's a little nugget that I didn't read about. What do you think, Coca? Think there's a response here? The order of funds. I can't tell you how important it is when you're negotiating a deal that requires payments over the course of construction because now you have to pay architects. They have to do construction drawings, then it turns into design drawings. Then you've got to start public infrastructure work. You sort of have to dig the trenches to get the wiring and then you've just got to dig holes. You've got to do remediation. All sorts of things are happening before you put in the FF&E, furnitures, fixtures, and equipment, before you put in the hot tub in the locker room, before you actually put in the seats, before you hang the art on the wall. There's all sorts of money that's being spent. So one of the big negotiations is what's the order? Meanwhile, the public generally is sleeping during this part of the negotiation, which is very important because when you are the private citizen, you say, hey, we want to be LMI, not LMA, Larry, LMI. We want to be the last money in. And the public said, well, don't you think that you should put some money in up front? And I said, no. I said, you put all the public money in, then we'll put our money in. Because there's a construction fund. And the construction fund gets managed throughout the process of the construction. It gets invested if there's cash in there and you, you, it has sort of extra money that gets in there, which we don't calculate as part of the project. That's sort of extra. And then you negotiate what happens to the construction fund when it's done in case there's more money in it. Spoiler alert, there's never extra money in the construction fund because you use that money. You say, hey, we're going to use that maybe for capital, capital reserve. We're going to use it for something. Yeah, we're going to use it to cover overruns. We didn't actually have to do that. We got in under budget, baby, and on time. I'm going to flex that the rest of my life because it was hard to imagine a 36-month project under budget and on time. Anybody can be on time. Anybody can be on time, right? You could also be under budget if you just don't build what you were supposed to build. But we built exactly what we were supposed to build, exactly what was designed. I'm flexing Coca. Stop yelling at me. I'm not going to stop. It's cool. And I want people to remember what Marlins Park looked like. But the... LMI is so important because you don't want to have to borrow the money, which is what Terry and Kim are going to do. 
both from the NFL and from their own banks in order to put money toward this project. You want to borrow at the last possible minute because then you're not paying interest for as long. And what you say to the government is, listen, we're going to cover overruns. We're responsible to complete this stadium. We have to have some place to live and to play. So, of course, we're not going to just build half, use all your money. Well, build 82%. You lose all your money. Use all your money for 69. We're not going to have all of your money put into the fund, use it all, have a half-built stadium, and then disappear. Who would ever do that? Coca, help me right now. What's the story of the ballpark? It's a practice facility in football. I think it's David Tepper of the Charlotte Panthers, of the Carolina Panthers, who was in the middle of building a practice facility, and then the public money dried up and they stopped building. I think that happened. I don't know what's happened since then, but I do think I have a way to see that is that building will be completed. I don't know if it is. Yeah, it was an 800 million practice facility. Thank you, Coca. How did that just get in my mind? I am absolutely focused on this show today, Matt. Totally focused. So I guess the moral of my stadium story for you is that I think it's very nice that you're going to get a new stadium in Buffalo. Just at least have an idea that uh, there may have been a little tiny fleecing. So the NFL is trying to cover up this bit of news because it's, it's almost hard for me to believe. And I say this, and you've heard me say this before, I'm white, I'm privileged, born on third base, never thought I had a triple, knew that I was plopped right on third base, always have worked my ass off to get home and get home and get home and get home because you can always go home again, always work hard. But there's something that the NFL did that you may say I shouldn't be commenting on, but I have to because I've got the microphone and I don't take your time for granted. But the NFL announced a new minority hiring requirement yesterday that I found to be unbelievably offensive. And the way they announced it, I found to be even more offensive. In 2022, every single NFL team will have an assistant offensive coach who is either black, brown, or a woman. It is not a question of following the Selig rule or the Rooney rule. This is a rule rule. There will be 32 offensive assistants. Why? Because that is what the NFL decided is the best path to be a head coach. And while they care about GMs and defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators and assistant GMs and trainers, et cetera, the real thing, the real face of the NFL are the head coaches, and they want more minority head coaches, more women head coaches in the NFL because it's part of what I think will end up being a settlement of the Brian Flores lawsuit. Which, by the way, apparently two new coaches are going to join. I guarantee you it's not Mike Tomlin. So the NFL announces this. And they said, we're doing it for offensive coaches because that's the pathway to being a head coach, we've noticed. Talk about recency bias, right? It used to be defensive coordinators were being promoted to be head coaches. Now, it, like Bill Belichick at the time, he was, I believe, the defensive coordinator for the Giants when they won the Super Bowl and then went on to be, obviously, who he is with the Patriots. But now, the, the, the hip thing is to hire offensive people, not people who are offensive, 
offensively minded people. <laughs> that could have been lost in textlation. So every team's going to have one, but guess what? They're not on the payroll of the team. The NFL is hiring them and basically placing them with the teams or the teams are going to hire them and then forward the cost of the contract to the NFL for payment. It reminded me in baseball when they made us hire a translator as part of the 2016 collective bargaining agreement. Another thing that the players wanted that we gave them because it was so easy to give because it was so ridiculous, but they were so insistent upon it. We must have a Spanish translator for our players who don't speak English for when they get interviewed after games because we want them to be interviewed. We want them to have FaceTime. We want their profiles to be increased. And therefore, we're not going to make them learn English because why should they have to learn English? And we are going to make sure there's a translator, but we're going to pay. MLB said, so we, we hired somebody. Do you know what we did? Can I say this? I think I can. I don't work for the Marlins anymore. We actually, and it, of, of course, ostensibly MLB had to approve who you were going to hire to make sure it was someone qualified, et cetera. We hired someone who definitely was bilingual, though some teams hire people who don't even speak Spanish. But our, our, our guy we hired was bilingual. He already worked for us. And we didn't give him a raise, so we had MLB pay the salary, and we kept making him do the job he was doing, so we got to save like 50 grand. Yes, it's true. So the NFL is going to hire this person. This person, or the team hires him, doesn't matter. The person walks into the first coach's meeting. Do you think the person is saying, do I belong here? Is it, are people looking at me? How many times do I have to remind you what Mike Hill said? Former president of baseball operations for the Marlins, current senior VP of on-field operations for Major League Baseball, a Harvard-educated African-American with a World Series ring, who always said, hire me because I'm good, not because I'm black. I'm not going to speak for him other than what I just told you, which is what he directly said to me. I'm going to speak for me and say that if you're talking about trying to change the way owners and presidents act and you want to have women and you want to have minorities in the coaching ranks, forcing hires is just not going to do it. No matter what rule is put in place, no matter what for PR purposes the NFL announces so they can then show because you're going to forget the fact that the NFL mandated this and the NFL will then announce statistics of the number of minority coaches they have. And by definition, they're going to have 32 more this year than they had last year. But then Rooney of the Rooney rule, not really Rooney, is the grandson of Rooney or the son or the grandnephew. It's such a complicated family. I don't think this is the actor. I think he's the current head of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe Rooney Mara's uncle or Kate Mara's sister or brother, cousin. The truth of the matter is that as of today, at least there aren't many women in the pool in terms of head coach. We hope that's going to change over the years. But for that reason, we didn't see it as inhibiting the number of interviews for racial minorities at this point in time. Trying to answer to you, you're going to count women as minorities? So that means if they hire a white woman, that's going to take the turn. That's going to take the place of a black or brown man. Yes. Okay. But then Rooney said, really, we are looking at probably the early stages of women entering the coaching ranks. 
So we may be a little ways away. Hold on to your hats here, folks. This is an actual quote. We may be a little ways away before that becomes a problem. (laughs) Okay. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the problem that women who are white are taking the jobs of men who are black and brown. That's going to be a problem. But we don't have that problem because there aren't any women. But when there are, we'll jump off that bridge when we get to it. Overall, I find this new minority requirement from the NFL to be not a positive development for teams, for minorities, for any sort of anything other than PR. Congratulations, Roger. You're making great progress as a result of the Brian Flores lawsuit. Don't kid yourself. You put together this whole group. Did you read that? They hired six people like the baseball's blue ribbon panel. They hired six very accomplished people to be part of a committee. They're going to start telling the NFL, you got to do X, you got to do Y, you got to do Z, and then there'll be no problems like A, B, C. Easy is one, two, three, four, five, six. All right, Raj. When we come back, we're going to talk prosthetics because if you tell me that Sebastian Stan has a penis that big, I'm going to tell you that's wrong. And if you're going to tell me that Lily James has a body like that, I'm going to tell you something's going on here. We're going to review Pam and Tommy, and we're also going to give you a little quick follow-up to the Will Smith situation. There's been a development. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Thank you for rating and reviewing. We are heading toward another record month here in March, and April is going to be even bigger, and it's all because of you. You found us, and you tell your friends about us, and we spend every day, 45 minutes a day, just talking, just talking about stuff. And I watch a movie every day or a TV series. I'm in the middle of a series. I don't want to blow it, but I'm in the middle of a series that was from 2015 to 2018. And the creator and director of the series 
was mentioned during the Oscars. Spoiler alert, hint, Easter egg was mentioned by an actor who has a line that's pretty famous, that's the fact, Jack. So I watched Pam and Tommy because someone told me to watch it. I love when you give me suggestions. Please get on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Tell me what to watch. I'll put it on the list. I keep a list on the phone. So please keep giving me suggestions. So I watched Pam and Tommy. It's a mini series about Tommy Lee, the drummer for Motley Crue, and Pamela Sue Anderson. Pamela Anderson, who was in Baywatch. Tommy Lee is the one who was married to Heather Locklear from Dynasty. I don't think she's known for Dynasty. Maybe she's known for TJ Hooker, or is that TJ Booker? Is it TJ Hooker, Coca? And that was William Shatner. Was that Heather Thomas or Heather Locklear? Heather Thomas was the fall guy in BJ and the Bear, so Heather Locklear must have been TJ Hooker. Either way, Tommy Lee met Pam. Pam is played by Lily James. You may know Lily James from yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. The movie about the Beatles where the guy wakes up and no one's heard of the Beatles, so he is the Beatles because he has all their songs because he knows about them. Lily James, who was in some sort of uh, PR kerfuffle because of something with somebody who was married who was in the, uh, the Girl Next Door. Stay with me. But I want to talk about Pam and Tommy because there's something that I read about. They did the entire shoot in prosthetics. Lily James did not get breast enhancement surgery. They did prosthetics on her and she was naked during half the show, but it wasn't really her, it was prosthetics. And Tommy Lee was naked because they're naked all the time. And you're thinking to yourself, my God, this better be fake. I mean, we're talking like Dirk Diggler type of stuff. John Holmesian. There's no way that I'm competing with that. He's a rock star, no wonder. It's gotta be the tattoos, I used to think. But then, you know, Coca said it's not the tattoos, so it's gotta be something else. It turns out their story's fascinating. So the irony is, I had zero interest in watching this because I really could care less about Tommy and Pamela and their marriage and their divorce and their life. It turns out that I don't wanna be a rock star. I want to have a much bigger platform. I want to keep growing this show. I wouldn't mind at some point surpassing Stephen A. Smith, certainly not in my takes, because I think I've already surpassed that in terms of gas baggery, but I'm talking about in terms of remuneration, because why not? But the life of a rock star, it seems sort of appealing. And then I read about another overdose death, the drummer for the Foo Fighters. And uh, I started thinking about the life that Tommy Lee had and has and rest in peace, obviously. It's not Tommy Lee. The, the pressure that people have in the public eye. And we talk about it with Will Smith. We talk about it with Chris Rock. We talk about it with celebrities. We love to gossip. There are TV shows. There are networks. There are newspapers that are solely based on voyeurism. And I don't mean like the Sidney Steele type of voyeurism from that movie. I'm talking about we are so fascinated with how other people live when the truth is that they're really like we are, but they're on display, so they feel as though they can't be like we are, so they're always on. And take it from me, I had a job 
for a long time, and I still feel that way to a large degree, where I have to be on. I want you to engage with me, and I want you to know me, but you're only knowing me in the way that I allow it. Because if you're not my friend, and we have a relationship online, I'm genuine because I'm okay with you knowing that part of me, but I don't give you all of my insecurities. I talk about a lot of my anxieties, but I don't talk about them all. I will over time, but you have to think about this. When you are put in a position where you are always in the spotlight, you do some crazy things, and then you got to figure out how to get out of it if you can survive it. After the Oscars two nights ago, Will Smith realized that he was on the wrong side of this issue. He got his lawyers and his PR people together and his representatives. And after a night of partying, because Will Smith went out and partied and everything was fine, wins the Oscar, goes to the parties, gets about two hours of sleep. And then his handlers said, we're going to need a statement. You're going to have to apologize for what you did because you had a chance to apologize on stage when you won Best Actor, and you blew that. We told you before you went on. Before he won Best Actor, he actually was advised what to say during his speech. He didn't quite get the full memo, but you can imagine his head may have been spinning with rage. He forgot to apologize to Mr. Rock on stage. So he released a statement late yesterday, after almost 24 hours post-slap, and he had to acknowledge that violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. His behavior was unacceptable, inexcusable. Talking about jokes at my expense are part of the job. He apologized publicly to Chris Rock. I was out of line and I was wrong. His son Jaden, of course, said that's how we do it in the Will Smith family, but apparently that's not how they do it. Or maybe that's how they used to do it until they got in trouble for doing it that way. And then they quickly said, ooh, we can't do it that way. We have to do it another way. I wonder why he decided to apologize. Do you think he's acknowledging that what he did was wrong? Or do you think he's acknowledging that the way people are reacting has endangered his wealth, has endangered his position as a celebrity? I find it to be quite fascinating, right? That there could be race involved. There could be sponsorships involved. There could be movie deals involved, like I spoke about yesterday. Because when I talk to athletes who need to apologize or talk to myself or anybody who ever needs to apologize, we've seen it time and time again. This show thrives on people's statements when they're forced to apologize for something and they're not really sorry but they have to because money's involved. So Will Smith realized after a night of sleep, wow, I'm in serious jeopardy. It's time for me to apologize. Guess who hasn't said a word yet? Chris Rock. Why would he? He can milk this all the way to the bank. He's going on tour right now. His tickets are selling out in all of his stops. Everyone is waiting to hear his reaction. Why would you blow it in an Instagram post when you can monetize it? Am I being cynical? No. Of course Chris Rock is going to monetize this moment. Does he have an agent? 
a representative, a family, you got to strike while the iron's hot and it's scorching at the moment. Nothing personal pick of the day. I told you the Heat would win by 30. They only won by 23. Sorry, but they only had to win by 14. We're 35 and 27. That was a good victory. There's a lot going on in the NBA right now. Do you, can you imagine that the NBA, the season's done, but I'm still holding out hope that Zion Williamson's going to play. But the NBA season's about to be done. There's four teams at the top of the Eastern Conference. You could be the top seed or the number four seed. Either way, you're home court. But the big story is who's going to be the number one seed. And it could be the Heat. It could be the Celtics. It could be the Sixers. Coca. Coca. Celtics. Sixers. Is it the Raptors who are the fourth team? Bulls. Oh, you put a... (coughs) Okay, I'm going to tell you something else about how nothing personal works. Coca, there's two ways he communicates, right? In my ear on the document. And when he doesn't know something, I want him to know stuff that I need him to know immediately. He's got four screens up. He's got everything open. He's listening to the show. He's writing down what I'm talking about. And he's trying to look up things that I need him to look up. He's trying to anticipate what I'm going to say. But I expect him, he's supposed to know all this off the top of his head. So I said, you've got the, the, the Bucks, you've got the Sixers, you've got the Celtics, you've got the Heat. But I may have said the Raptors instead. And I said, who is it? And he said, not in my ear. He wrote it. He said, Bulls, question mark. And when he puts a question mark, it means don't say it on the air because I don't know it for sure. So it's the Bucks. Anyway, <laughs> the Bucks play the Sixers. It's a huge, huge game because they are playing for the number one seed. The Bucks are getting one in Philadelphia. How many times can I tell you that the Philadelphia 76ers are not going to win the title? They have no chance to win the title. The Bucks are a better team, period. Joel Embiid is likely the MVP, actually. But that said, Bucks plus one. That's my pick of the day. All right, Coca. Talk to me. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. DMs are O-P-E-N at all T-I-M-E-S. And I try to answer as often as possible. Hello, David. What do you think of Dave Roberts' comments from last week? Do you like when your manager speaks this way? I've been trying to get to this for a couple days because it fascinated me. Dave Roberts went on the Dan Patrick show last week. He's the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who it turns out their over-under for wins this season is 164. I feel like the under is a great bet, but again, it's not what I do for a living, but I'm taking the under of 164. Dave Roberts went on the Dan Patrick show and said, we're winning the World Series this year. Put it on record. I said to myself, I got to go talk to my manager now. I can't have that on the record. Where do you go from there? Managers are supposed to say, as part of speaking points to the general public when spring training starts and then when you do a sort of press availability before opening day, you talk about you feel good about your position. You love the depth of your team. You expect this team to have a deep October run. We say that, a deep October run. If you're sort of in the middle, you say, we expect to be competitive. 
for a playoff spot. We expect to play meaningful games throughout this season. We expect to take a step forward. I'm going down the line, right? The people who expect to take a step forward are the ones who won 65 games. They're now going to win 70 games. So you say, we expect to take a step forward. So there's an entire universe. We are excited to have our young players get experience. That's what the Guardians say. So there's everything from that to we're going to win the World Series. But you don't ever go to that extreme. Because why, when you've got a customer base and a fan base, do you ever want to set yourself up where the best you can do is meet expectations? That's bad business. You want to be in a situation where you can over-deliver, under-promise, over-deliver. In whatever company you're working, whatever you do for a living, in your relationship, in your work life, here's the key to life. It's a top 10 for sure. Under promise, over deliver. How many people in your life over deliver, over promise, and under deliver? I want to get that out smoothly, Coco. It's an important point in my mind. Okay? Eight, nine, 69. How many people in your life over promise and under deliver? It's like an epidemic, isn't it? How about trying it the other way? You know, I like our team. I'm thankful to our owner who has given us the resources. If everything goes the way we believe it can, we expect to be playing in October. We don't pay attention to all of the stimulations. I was about to say simulation. We don't pay attention to all these. Hold on. It is simulation. I was about to say stimulation. It's simulation. It's live, baby. We don't pay attention to all the simulations. We know that we have a job to do, and I promise that every single day we are going to be competing to win a game. So I got to go see my manager. I got to sign him to an extension, which the Dodgers did. I got to give him better talking points because what happens if the Dodgers get off to a slow start? It's not going to matter. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win the West and the NL. But to win the World Series, you have to have errors made by the other team. You have to have two at RBIs that you don't expect. You have to have pitchers who are not on your roster to you acquire them throughout the season or someone steps up from your minor leagues and gets hot at the right time. You have to avoid injuries. And then you still have to get lucky. All the dynasties that we thought, the Cubs dynasty of 2016, the Astros dynasty of 2017, there are no dynasties. There's no repeating champions. The Dodgers tried to repeat. They didn't. They lost. The Braves won. So the point is, it is very difficult. So why would you say we are winning the World Series, put on record? Like, is that motivating your players? I was around players 18 years every day. Believe me, that doesn't motivate them. And then Dave Roberts was very happy. This was a great line. He was thrilled that Albert Pujols has a chance to finish his career with the Cardinals. For those of you who've asked me on Twitter, David P. Sampson, yes, Albert Pujols is retiring at the end of this year. Yes, the Cardinals did give him a one-year deal, sort of a thank you, couple million dollars, come back, it's fun, sell some extra tickets, he announced he's retiring so he can go into the Hall of Fame, although the Cardinals really don't have that issue, they have the best fan base in the country actually, by far. So Albert Pujols is done, he's 21 home runs away from 700. Albert Pujols is not going to play first base instead of Paul Goldschmidt. He's not going to play twice a week, three times a week. He's going to be a right-handed hitter off the bench, facing lefties, trying to hit home runs. 
Well, I got to wait to see for you, Dave Roberts and Albert Pujols and everybody out there in the nothing personal universe. Albert Pujols will not hit 21 home runs this year. He will retire short of 700 home runs. And on top of that, a bonus wait to see, Albert Pujols will not even make the roster, the playoff roster for the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a pure PR feel good. It used to be you just sign a guy to a one day contract and then let him retire with your team. You have a press conference, you say thank you, then you hire him as a special assistant to the president or the GM or the owner, and then you live happily ever after. But to give a roster spot to Albert Pujols, totally unnecessary, totally unwarranted, it's not gonna last. He just, he's not good anymore, which is fine. When you're 75 years old, you're not gonna be still good enough to play Major League Baseball. Yeah, but the Cardinals said we gotta do it. We gotta do it. It's just business. Welcome back, Albert. Good luck, Dave. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.